Blog Talk Radio. Oh, hey, folks. It's me. Yes, I know the, the tone doesn't quite sound the same, does it? Well, yeah. I guess I'm kind of feeling like uh, all the rest of you. Very hard week uh, professionally, very hard week personally. Uh, it's been rough. I understand. I've been reading a lot of your comments and the things, even the things that have been sent to me in an email privately. Um, so I just wanted to take a minute or two to address uh, the situation as a whole before we get into talking with Duncan, of course. Um, so I've been doing this with every show that I have been doing, and they have been sporadic. Don't get too excited. I have another show this weekend, and then next week I have three more shows. So I'm going to try to at least do somewhere between six to eight shows a month, which I know is not the norm, but, um, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. So um, I'm doing the best that I can, obviously. So I just wanted to uh, say a couple quick things before I do a little intro for Duncan. And, of course, our usual announcements. This is what I want to remind everybody. I said this uh, at the last show I did, and I'll continue to keep saying it despite uh, the fact of people to point this out. But if you are listening right now, you are essential. You're essential not because a job tells you to or because the government tells you to. You're essential because you exist. It's merely that simple. Um, things are very crazy right now, and I see a lot of my friends very sad, very unemployed, very non-filled with hope or or help or any kind of encouragement or anything. So I just want you to remember you're essential. You're necessary. It's important that you reach out if you need help. It's important that you stay hopeful. It's important that you exercise your rights and freedoms as a citizen. That's my, uh, I couldn't possibly be more adamant about it. So much so that, uh, for one, in case you guys didn't hear, so the entire edition of uh, a magazine for June will be dedicated to nothing more than anything relative to preserving freedoms, whether that means doing articles about businesses that are on the brink of closing down, whether that's making governors accountable for their bad behavior, whether that is talking to people who literally have been arrested, who are doing contact tracing, anything and everything that brings to light just how horrific this direction could go in if we do not decide to become citizens and be accountable for our behavior or the behavior of others. So uh, if you are listening and if you are living in a state where you are completely locked down without adequate reason, and what I define adequate reason is, if you're in South Dakota and you have 48 deaths right now and you haven't even closed, yeah, there should be nothing going on there versus other places, as we all know, New York, New Jersey, the whole nine yards. So uh, CIN4251 at gmail.com. Otherwise, as you know, I'm on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and pretty much just about everywhere. And almost everyone has my number. So feel free to reach out as far as that goes. I want to remind everyone, the Art of the Live Film Festival, the deadline is coming up June 4th. It's the last day by which you can submit anything. And again, the criteria is screenplays up to 120 pages. Um, of any type, uh, and those are $15 to submit. As always, I encourage my youth, and for me, basically, youth is just about anyone, except when you're old and acting like you're young, um, $10. And that's for any genre, but keep in mind, that's anywhere up to 90 minutes and no longer. Same thing with short films and feature films. $15 to submit up until June 4th, and make sure any genre, like I said, do not go over 90 minutes. I just have made the executive decision last year that no film over 90 minutes will even get looked at, and I don't want you to waste your money. So uh, please, if interested, if you know anyone who's interested, 
go to Art of the Live Film Festival dot weebly dot com. Otherwise, go to filmfreeway.com, Art is Alive Film Festival. Obviously, we all know that Bedford Falls is done and finished, um, so we're just doing the last touches as far as that goes. We also all know about this show. Um, I am going to be doing some live interviews next month, but stay tuned because I don't have 100% of the information on that as far as that goes. The other thing is, of course, in case you haven't heard, I think everyone has heard, the Mick, the Mobster, and the Man Upstairs. Yes, I actually wrote a play. I wrote it a while ago, and then I got petrified, and so I scaled back, and now I'm moving full force on this. Um, most of you have seen the poster already. Most of you already know that um, we're going on the road. So if you're listening and you own a place, if you're listening and you have a place, um, or if you just want us to come there and perform for you, three-act play, um, obviously three of the, the best characters ever known to man in the indie world, so I say, meaning one of which would be my better half, uh, one of which is the hip priest, and then, of course, one of which is uh, one of the finest actors um, in Canada, one of my dearest friends. Uh, I have immortalized him, and I've turned him into God, basically. So if interested in booking this show, if interested in casting for this show, meaning that we can't be everywhere all the time, well, Michael can and I can, but we're going to be casting for the priest, and we'll also be casting for God in various different places. So, again, C-I-N, 4251 at gmail.com. Otherwise, feel free to go ahead and reach out to me on social media in any form or just text me uh, if you're interested. So I think you've listened to me babble enough. Um, I just want to do a quick intro. Uh, Duncan Putney, who's going to be on the show today, has waited very graciously um, a little bit longer than he needed to. Sadly, circumstances had to push back our interview a few times, but we're here. Uh, To those of you that don't know, Duncan Putney was a participant in this year's Bedford Falls Film Festival. He has a lovely film by the name of Macy's Goes to War. And more importantly, he won an award from our festival, actually. Um, Super, super excited to talk about that. The George Bailey Award. Yes, I know. We actually stole it from It's a Wonderful Life. Who's going to sue us? Hello, we're in a pandemic. Anyways, I'm super excited to talk about the film and all sorts of other things because he's not just a writer, he's not just a director, he's not just anything, really. So without further ado, let's get Duncan on the line and we'll start talking about him. Hi, Duncan. Hey there. Uh, I'm okay. Uh, that was a lot to say there. <laughs> so I'm sorry I kept you waiting. Well, you know, life's a little rough around here. Things are a little crazy. The kids are home. Things are not. But thank you for your patience. I appreciate it. Uh, sometimes it's hard to get on my show. So I'm glad you're here. I appreciate your patience. Glad to be we here. We have a lot to talk about. Oh, there's just so much to talk about. I get a kick. Okay, so first of all, you got to explain this to me. To those of you that don't know, you better start following him after today's show because I was on your Twitter yesterday, and I get such a kick out of this. Duncan does this thing called hashtag coffee thoughts. So tell me about the coffee thoughts. I want to know where those came from because they're so cool. Every once in a while, you know, you just you just have a, a randomly uh, obscure thought uh, and yeah. Just to feel like sharing it, so it's coffee time. They're usually funny, so they're I do. I, I share them on, uh, on Twitter. Yeah, and they're very cool. I mean, they're very, very thoughtful and unique and interesting and relatively humorous, like you were saying. I just thought it was neat because I'm like, everybody seems to have their little niche, like what they do on social media. So I thought it was really nice. Do people engage with you in that? Because I think right now everybody's needing like to laugh as much as humanly possible. Some people do. Some people, I think, just look at it, like it, and move on. And some people comment. Uh, but you know, I wasn't trying to uh, start a worldwide discussion with them. Just a moment of humor. <laughs> oh, no. 
I get it. I do. In fact, you do the same thing on Facebook. I, I was noticing that yesterday. I'm like, how cool is this that he's just he's putting up these cute little things? It, it, they're really nice, delightful distractions is what I call them. Obviously, the world's pretty heavy right now. So um, I've been asking my guests lately, okay, so how are things in your neck of the woods? And, and I'm trying to get guests to tell, all right, so how do you find that you're best coping with what's going on? What, what do you do to make things more normal in your own life? Well, um, we're, we're, I'm in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. We're kind of locked down. Um, you have to have masks to go to the grocery store and all that and the social distancing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're starting to open up the state actually this weekend. Um, I think everyone's going to – they have two beaches they've opened. They're, they're going to open. So uh, mm-hmm. hopefully we'll slowly get back to work. And this is a big restaurant state. I mean, it's not a big state, but it's, rest, we have uh, a well-known culinary school here, a lot of great restaurants that win all kinds of awards. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of them aren't coming back. Because they just couldn't last last the uh, last couple months because they're operating on a really slim margin as it is, and sure. uh, it's 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 sad. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna lose some restaurants. Oh no, that's just it breaks my heart when I have to hear those things. You know, obviously we all have to do what we have to do, and it's it really is heart wrenching, and especially for the creative community. Um, one of the things that someone brought to light yesterday, I was talking to a filmmaker, and I know that you're a filmmaker as well. I'd like your stance on this. Clearly, at some point, we're all going to go back, you know, the creative in terms of filming, acting, directing, things like that. And one of the biggest fears people are having, of course, is, you know, providing extra insurance, extra safety, et cetera. So how do you how do you feel about all of this? And how do you believe that you'll, you know, how will you accurately adjust to try to go back to work in circumstances like this, especially with film? Because you have to have, you know, social distancing, I imagine, is almost impossible. It It is. It is somewhat impossible uh we're i know all the unions if i i talk with some people in the in the in different guilds and unions and they're they're all working together to come up with a a single set of guidelines so not every mm-hmm. union has a different set of guidelines so that's that's going to be tough and then you're going to have uh completion insurance uh bonds not just like normal insurance but that will probably i'm thinking that's going to go up because you have a star, you know, if a day player gets sick, you replace them, can't show up. But if your mm-hmm. star has to get quarantined for two weeks and shuts everything down, you know, that right. that's going to be a problem. I think you know, insurance is going to go up. And if you're a sitcom and you're on a soundstage and you have a, you can sort of quarantine your cast and crew a little bit, I can see that for a, a short term. I can see that working. Mm-hmm. But if you're, if you're doing a you know a long shoot and you've got a lot of people you got a good sized crew and you're going to have uh especially background because they're coming and going and they're going from you know yesterday they're on one film and tomorrow they're on a, um, a different film or a tv show mm-hmm. you know they're going to be carrying whatever they're taking from set to set to set right so that's going to be interesting to see what happens uh on that front. So, I mean, I think I mean, we just have to, you know, say stay calm, carry on. We have to work toward the future. But I was just cast in a, an HBO pilot. I'm not allowed to talk about because I did an NDA agreement. It's a really small role. And sure. that looks like it may not happen and now until September if it comes, if it comes back at all. Oh, boy. 
how disappointing is that? You know, that's I saw a filmmaker the other day. I was I could have pictured you doing something like this. Uh, a mutual friend of both myself and Michael's actually is a filmmaker, and he got really creative, and he just started filming at home. Like he grabbed a bunch of different devices, et cetera. He didn't go a whole lot of places. Kind of similar to the SNL because, you know, SNL was doing it live, of course, in their own homes. So is that something you would consider doing? Because I could totally see you trying something like that. Like, okay, we're not just going to sit around anymore. Let's let's do something at home. I'm not. I'm not. I hate to say it. I have. I suffer from TDD, which is called technology deficit disorder. No. <laughs> uh, com- a computer is a big typewriter to me. You know what I mean? Or such a it's a, it's a splendor typewriter. You know, and sure. and it's, it, 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 my computer, my Apple will do way more than I will ever ask it to do. It's just not. It's just not my thing. Um, though I have been writing like crazy, so um, oh. sometimes I feel like Jack Nicholson in the in The Shining, where I'm talking to imaginary bartenders <laughs> and whatever. But at least I'm writing and not the same sentence over and over. So we knocked out knocked off two sure. television pilot scripts, um, a sci-fi short story, and working on another one. Uh, so just keep and I'm jump, I always have several projects open, um, and some uncompleted ones that uh, I've gone back to and I'm sort of pecking away at. Sure. Uh, Now that's surprising to me to tell you the truth, because I think I've come across authors on both sides of the fence, like some right now, like I'm constantly getting blocked right now, but I'm sure it's just emotional and and physical issues, et cetera. But it's interesting how some people really thrive and have been able to literally get that pen to paper and say, I'm going to keep purging forth and keep going through, et cetera, et cetera. That's really neat and interesting and beneficial. You know what I mean? Kudos to you. I think it's awesome that you're able to function, you know, the way that you are right now. It wasn't as easy at first because you just have, you know, the, the news on the background and it's just, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, we've all said a writer would say, Oh, if I only had like two months on an Island or, you know, at a retreat and all my, you know, everything's taken (laughs) care. Yeah. But, there's not, you know, but if you had, if you had that, then there's someone standing behind you constantly whispering stuff in your ear about the, the you know, oh, the world's coming, as we know, it's coming to an end and everything else. It'd be kind of tough to, mm-hmm. to write, you know, so it's, it's not that it's, sure. it's uninterrupted, but it's, it's not uninterrupted because the, 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 the COVID-19 keeps whispering in your ear about, you know, yeah. what's going to happen now, what's going to happen in the future. Oh, you betcha. And I'm always telling people that they should, and writers in particular, I'm always holding them to accountability numbers, meaning like it helps them sometimes if I make them accountable and I'm always on their back about stuff. But I see that you're almost self-accountable. I don't mean accountable, meaning I saw the cute little ditty that you wrote about, okay, I did so many pages and now I've earned a glass of scotch, which I think is so cool. I'm like, look at that. He's rewarding himself for what he did. Is that a regular practice, Duncan? It is. I used to, I had a, I had a friend who had a bar, he didn't. I used to uh, go to a lot, and he he no longer owns it, so I don't really go there too much. But if I I would go on Friday, and I'd have a I'd have a, a beer, but if I got a certain mm-hmm. number of pages done, I could have a scotch. And it got to the point if I ordered a scotch, they'd applaud. Oh, Duncan got his pages done. Uh, I've been writing so much that having a scotch is not like once or twice a month kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. a once or twice a week. <laughs> You know, have a bottle, of, have a, have a, have a scotch. So I, I mean, if I was any more productive, I'd be an alcoholic. Uh, oh my God! Now, did you notice that that quick little thing you did where you were like uh, a bottle, oh a glass? I'm like, hmm. Did you yeah, really yeah. mean a bottle or two a week? <laughs> well, actually, I, I, I 
finished up one bottle of scotch, and I'm like halfway through another. Oh my uh, God! Look so. at that. Well, I gotta. You know, I I think that um, it's it, one thing that I've always found interesting, and I I say this to people all the time. I always write before I drink anything because I'm I'm here to tell you I don't know how Lady Gaga does it. Like she'll be like, oh, I can down a bottle and you know write the most beautiful lyrics. I have personal friends who can do that, but you know it's interesting to me. Like I just can't function. I mean, writing takes brain work. I'm like, you can't really dilute it too much. You know what I'm saying? I can write, and I think I'm brilliant until the next day when I sobered up and look at what I wrote. And then I'd be like, what is this? Oh, my gosh. Oh, absolutely. No, I get it. I do. But, yeah, it's encouraging to hear that. So, folks, if you're listening in right now, you're hearing a writer actually tell you, yes, it's possible to some lovely masterpieces right now. Um, you know, it's it's possible. You know, I, I see a lot of people getting very discouraged. Right? So I've been trying to really keep them going and moving and all that good jazz. So kudos on that. Um, I have a question relative to your education. I know you went to the University of Massachusetts, and, of course, you did study theater there. But your BA is actually in accounting. And I think it's interesting to talk about this because most oftentimes when people give me feedback on the show, they're like, oh, he was an actor or director. He must have studied school for years and years and years relative to that craft. And in your case, talk a bit about how one goes from accounting to acting because it does seem like a natural progression, you know. Well, it was, accounting was my fallback degree. You know, I mean, I was, I was there. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, I have parents and guides counselors in high school and everything else, and they're telling you you got to have a real – a real degree, and actually, I was I was I was supposed to get two degrees from UMass, uh, accounting and theater. In the middle of my senior year, they told me they would not count my freshman courses toward both degrees; they would only count them toward one degree or the other. Oh my God! Uh, so I, uh, instead of going back and paying for another year and retaking freshman courses, I chose the accounting mm-hmm. degree because no one have, they will if you if you need a job in accounting, they will ask you for your degree. If you're going for a job in theater unless you're going to teach theater, they're not, they're, they don't need to see a diploma. They, right. you know, they want to see what you can do. So you're, it, it, it's, it's, you, you have to be able to show your stuff, um, whether it's, you know, at the audition or if you're writing, it's, it's um, reading what you've written or, or looking mm-hmm. your at your, at your reel or your portfolio. So it was, uh, sure. but I got a great, I mean, UMass Amherst, I can't say, I got, I got some great, great, great teachers there, a combination of people that sort of came up through the academic world and also people that uh, came up through the real world. Uh, so when I, when I say the real world, they, they were out working in uh, commercial theater and film and that sort of thing mm-hmm. and then came back into the um, uh, academic world to teach. And that was, that was really a, a nice combination of, uh, of teachers, I've seen some people that uh, went to a university, and it was all the teachers were, were great teachers and lovely people, but they were all academic, and they hadn't been, they hadn't been out in the in the real world. So when the when the guy when the when the uh, person graduates, they really don't know what they're walking into. No one told them what it was like, you know, mm-hmm. going to a, an audition or what's a union or, <laughs> or anything yeah. like that, you know, or how to get a job. In theater, so it was, it was a nice combination. Well, the thing is, too, obviously, most of us know what an accountant does. You know, I'm, I'm gathering that you're taught to have such huge attention and retention of details. So I have to ask the obvious question: How does that spill over into acting? Because we all know an actor by nature is taught. You know, you have to do lines, you have to run lines, you have to remember things. Um, 
did that degree help you at all when it comes to actual the drama side of things? Not, not really. What it did help me to was write grants <laughs> and do budgets for oh, grants duh. and things. Should have thought of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean that 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 came in really handy when I presented something that's a nice pro forma balance sheet. And you're like, oh wow, this is isn't scribbled on a napkin. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I I worked with a theater company from '96 to 2002. It was called A to Z Productions here in in Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Some friends of mine. And um, uh, that's where I was, where I was writing a lot of grant applications back then. Um, and uh, it, did, it did come in handy. But also the writing part, because then you have to, besides the numbers, you have to have uh, the writing and where you're making your argument. And mm-hmm. with grant writing, you have to learn the buzzwords to use. Right. You know, like synergy and all that stuff. You know, uh, you can't just say, <laughs> Uh, we, we want to put on a show that everybody's that you know that everyone can see. You have to break it down yeah. into the who who is everybody, you know, all the subgroups of everybody, and name them. You know, so it's, it was really uh, uh, a combination of uh, uh, creativity and accounting, but it was not creative accounting. All the numbers were real. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's interesting the way you talk about the grant stuff because nowadays, clearly. Um, since I have such a great resource, I have to ask this question. Uh, a lot of my friends are publicists. A lot of my friends are filmmakers. So, of course, they're looking for money all of the time or ways to get attention. And now with the crisis going on, it's going to be even more difficult to be able to solidify people being able to sponsor you. So any good tips, uh, anything, any go-to that somebody could go to, either grant-wise or otherwise, that might help them uh, from that standpoint? Um. I find when going after uh, corporate sponsorship type grants, mm-hmm. um, they say they're doing it and you know for altruistic purposes and everything else, but you have to look at it as well from what's in it for them. So um, basically, with all the social media and everything else, talk about you know if you, you know and and demonstrate how you get the word out. Because they don't, they not only want to give you money for whatever project you're doing. They want to, they want to know basically how many people will you tell how great they are for giving you a grant. So be able to do, with, the, with, the, with the social media, be able to demonstrate, you know, social media press releases, all that stuff. Be able to keep track of your numbers and everything else that they want. Uh, if 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 it comes down to a tie between your project and someone else's. And you, you know, and you're you're going to tell ten times as many people how great that company is for giving you a grant. They're mm-hmm. going to go with you. Sure, makes sense. Absolutely, good point. God, he's smart, isn't he? And you're making me look dumb. I don't mean that in a bad way, by the way. Uh, I, I'm always picking people's brains. I'm like, it's fascinating to me how some people just have that go-to where they're like, okay, well, we'll just adapt and do this. You know what I mean? Sometimes it takes me a heck of a lot more time. I can assure you of that. Um, this is a fun fact when I was researching you, and I hope it's not wrong, because I was like, oh, I don't get to talk to many people who are a, a former VP of the Screen Actors Guild. Is this indeed true? I was, yeah, I was the vice president of, of the New England branch of the Screen Actors Guild. So it was a region, you know, where we have different regions besides the national. So I was a, uh, a vice president of the, 
of the for the uh, New England region for six years. I was on the on the on the on the board, and I did uh, some after negotiation and committee work as well, uh, and worked hmm. on uh, to when we were merging the unions of of, uh, okay. of after and SAG. And I I, I it's it was, it's a, it's a lot of work. I got to tell you, being on the board of a union and and trying to get things done. But I I think pretty much every actor in the union should go for it um, at least for three years, you know, take a term. Uh, and I think they'll, they'll really appreciate how, how hard uh, and how much work it takes to uh, um, get the contracts and everything else. Cause it's a, it's a, and it's collaborative, just like filmmaking is collaborative mm-hmm. uh, effort. Working on a board uh, is a collaborative effort as well. So. Oh, I Sure, you bet. Um, I'm curious to ask you because, of course, clearly I'm guessing, was this a recent term or was this in the past? I only ask because I'm curious to see your take on how the Guild itself has evolved over time, you know, enriched, involved, and been more engaging, et cetera. Well, I was on pre, pre-merge. I was 90 to 96, so I was on the gotcha. board um, and okay. um, for New England. But, uh, and I, but I'm, I'm still involved. I help out on projects when I can. Uh, and nice. uh, and and get and I get to and and as and as a, a union member, you, we get to put our two cents in. <laughs> um, ah, look at that! So whenever we're, we're about to go into a contract negotiation, we have wages and working committees, so mm-hmm. which the um, the members can get on and basically discuss. Okay, what's you know how is the industry changing? How do we? What can we make better? What can we add? What did we not address in the previous contract? Because now technology has changed so much. Oh, mm, which which happens sure. over the years. I remember when when there was just network, and then there was cable. You know, and now there's new media and streaming and all kinds of different right. things. And also, a lot of our um, when I started the acting, uh, there were multiple, many big studio companies, and slowly, 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 they've merged. So you can, as an actor, you can do a Broadway show, and you're working for Disney. And when that's over, you went and you do a a, a TV show. Well, oh, it's Disney again. Mm-hmm. And you go and do a feature film. Mm-hmm. It's Disney. And you go and do a commercial. Oh, you know, so it's, uh, the the our, our employers have merged. So mm-hmm. it was, you know wasn't a bad idea for us to merge too with after and SAG. Gotcha. Understood. You betcha. Um, since we're on the acting thing, I want to ask about this. So some of the projects, just in case you folks know, and you've been acting for 36 years. Um, now I won't lie to you. I say this all the time. Some people will say, Cindy, you're, you know, you're a natural, you know, you can act. And all I keep saying is hell to the no, I cannot act at all. I mean, I know people have been very gracious and that's sweet. So after 36 years and looking back on all of this, uh, in terms of acting, what is the one thing that you would say to any person listening that's even contemplating becoming an actor? What's the one thing that they either need to possess to be a good actor or else, um, in your opinion, uh, what have you come to learn to embrace over time that you didn't have before that you have now that adds to your acting? Does that make sense? Um, yeah. There's, when, you're, when you're acting, there's really it's, there's two parts to acting. There's the job. Of doing, I mean, when you're when you're hired, and then there's the audition, and I 
think about think about tennis. The audition is like the serve, and then there's the rest of the game. You know, where you never mm-hmm. you never throw the ball up and hit it over your head again, but you're 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 playing again. They're two different skills: the serve and the and the volley game. So uh, work on work on both, and don't worry about what people agonize when they go into an audition. I wonder what they want. I wonder what they want. That's not mm-hmm. what you should be worrying about because you have you don't you have no control over that. Think about what do I have to give them? What unique thing do I bring into the room that I can show them? And when you're done with that, if you've done your best and you and you've prepared and everything else, don't kick yourself because the reason you don't get jobs has nothing to do with your audition. I have, mm-hmm. you know, you're too tall, you're too short, uh you're wearing the wrong color tie, you know, you just don't know why you didn't get the job. It's just, it, that's just beyond your control. And if you agonize over it, you're just worrying over something for nothing because you can't, you can't do anything. So just move on. And if you get it, great. If you get the job, wonderful. But if you don't move on to your, to, to your next thing. Hmm. I was, I was I very fortunate. That... Go ahead. I was very fortunate when I was at UMass, my senior year, Vincent Price was touring in his one-man show called The Beast Within Me. And he was he uh, he had a uh, a show at our um at the university's large concert stage and at the at the Fine Arts Center and then but during the day while he was there, he came over and gave a talk to the uh, theater department. And he talked about when he went into acting, it was a great depression. Uh times were tough and he said you have to look upon acting as a career and a career is a lifetime so he goes if you're graduating from school and you give yourself some unrealistic goal that you should be starring in a tv show in two years or something so you don't know how you know you can't evaluate your career until you've had one and just work 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 because some people yeah they get that they get that great opportunity um right out of school and other people get that opportunity when they're in their 30s or their 40s or their 50s. Sure. But you got to stick well, with it, or you're if you if you give up too soon. The one thing I was just sitting here and thinking to myself was clearly, of course, in Rhode Island, for instance, it's not like New York, New York. You know, people will hear New York and they're thinking, oh, okay, well they must be working all the time because they're located in New York. Obviously, geographics play a part to this. Um, you've been in productions. You know, everybody recognizes the judge. Everybody recognizes things like Mystic River. Um, so um, getting the gig, uh, when you're living farther out, let's say, for instance, geographically, you're not in L.A. or, you know, New York, like big city New York or otherwise, um, how are people going to grab those gigs when they can? How challenging is that for somebody? Because I can't even imagine. Where do you start with that sort of thing? And, and in your case, how do you manage to get the attention of somebody who says, yeah, I'm going to put him in this movie alongside so-and-so? Uh, well, we, we, we do have a pretty good production history now uh, in New England, the, mm-hmm. um, mostly sort of Boston-centric, but Massachusetts uh, kind, of, kind of radiating out. But I'm not that far from New York. I go down to New York. I had a MasterCard commercial two years ago that was out of New York. Uh, ah. So it, it uh, so it's it's not that tough. And what's easier now is you can your first and second audition many times you can video it at home and send it in in the old days uh and this also goes to you would we would drop off headshots and resumes in person 
usually in, in, in New York, you go into a building that has 10 casting directors in it or whatever, and they have a slot outside their door with a sign saying, you know, if you're not here without it, with, if, you, if you haven't got an appointment, just put your picture in the box or in the slot kind of thing. But sure. you'd go to audition and you'd walk in the room and it would be an intern operating the video deck back in the day or the video camera. And you'd go home. So that was like three hours each way, three, three and a half hours each way for five minutes in a row. So now um, when you go in for the third audition, your client's in the room and you're getting some feedback and some direction. So it's, uh, Mm -hmm. it's a lot, it's, it's, it's a lot easier in a way. Sure. I can imagine. None of this, by the way, sounds easy, even though you're saying, oh, yeah, you know, easy, blah, blah, blah. It sounds petrifying. The whole process sounds petrifying. I see actors do it all the time, and I'm like, oh, my God, I don't even know how you could do that. So you really should be commended. I say this to actors all the time. Just taking the initiative to tweak yourself, take the time to learn lines, invest yourself into all of that, it's amazing to me, absolutely amazing. And, of course, you know, I have to ask that question. I always ask people because I get excited. I'm like, I love film altogether. Obviously, I have festivals of my own, but clearly we've all watched a Hollywood movie, and in this case, you worked with some bigger names there. So, by you, because I'm like, I get terrified when I talk to a Hollywood anybody, you know, but here you are in a set, et cetera. I presume you're not palling away with all of them, et cetera, but, you know, I guess I should ask because my kids are huge Iron Man fans. Did you meet Iron Man? That'd be like a big prop in my house, man, like right now. Actually, I I didn't because the, the scene on the on the judge, I was opposite Billy Bob Thornton in the scene, and uh, ah, yes. Robert Downey Jr. is in the is in the back of the he's like up in the balcony oh. or whatever because someone else yeah, is the lawyer yeah. for his to his father's been accused. So right. I really has I, right. I I chatted with his wife briefly because uh, she was one of the producers on it on it. Billy right. Bob Thornton was funny because he was um and he's a really nice guy. Um, oh. uh, uh, is but he was uh, we were chatting before uh, we we're, were chatting we you come and I'm uh, playing this corner testifying he's he, he on on the stand most of it's gone from the film but it's uh, testifying he's asked me wow. questions about how this person had died the dead body you know how I determined how the the cause of death and everything else and just before we're about to roll film because if you're a day player a lot of times they don't give you a name you're just the coroner. Right. Or whatever, you're not or the policeman number two or something. Uh, so Billy goes, um, I didn't uh oh um what's your name again? And I go, Duncan, you know, I mean your what's your last name, Duncan? And I said Putney and he goes, Okay, thank you. And I thought he was just refreshing his memory on my name. And then when he we go to start the scene, you know, we're, we're rolling in action, he goes, Doctor Putney, can you tell us <laughs> How you determine cause of death or whatever. And so my character became Doctor Putney, which is my name, which is my last name. So it was, right. it was kind of funny, but yeah, he was he was real nice. Um, and um, yeah, everyone, everyone. I mean, it's it. I've only met like you can meet an actor that has a really you know a well known actor. They can have a bad day, and I can totally understand it. Uh, it happens. You can meet someone on on a, on a bad day, but. I have a rule of thumb about actors. Uh, if an actor is getting paid $60 million and works on one film every four years, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's, you know, they might be a nice guy. I don't know. If someone is working all the time, because people, mm-hmm. their, their friends are calling them up and saying, hey, I'm doing a film in Montana, come on up and do, or I'm doing a film in Milwaukee, come and do a, you know, would you come and do um, 
something with me here, you know, a day player, a week player, a small role. And it's because people want to work with them because they're nice to work with. They want to hang out with them. Sure. So the actors that work a lot are usually really, really nice people. And uh, hmm. uh, so it's, it, it just, it just it, it tends to hold true. You can, you can meet someone on, on, on a bad day if you're only going to meet them once. You know, so I, I don't really like to judge people, but the, the, I find hmm. the actors who work all the time are just really nice people. Nice, very nice. That's awesome that you get a privilege like that. I mean, I think uh, every actor at some point has said, I want to work with so-and-so and so-and-so. And it's just neat. And the whole vibe on that whole thing is just, it's awesome. And it's a little bit different, of course, as we all know, because we all work in the indie uh, circuit here. In fact, um, one of the things I want to ask you about, of course, is um, you sit on the advisory board of the Rhode Island International Film Festival. So um, tell people a bit about, because honestly, I've talked to a lot of people, and, and not only are a lot not so familiar with the indie film circuit, but more importantly, why is having an advisory board so important? I haven't reached that degree yet. You know, I'm only in my first five years here and not as big. But tell the folks why it's important to have an advisory board for a film festival. And then more importantly, was this your first film festival that you were involved with? Or have you done this in past history? I, I've seen your past history, but you might have done something you haven't listed. No, this is the only, the only, film, you know, the only film festival that I've uh, been um, on the advisory board of. And it's mostly industry professionals and uh, some accomplished indie filmmakers uh, mm-hmm. uh, on this. On this, and also we we have a lawyer, you know, so trying to get mm-hmm. um, expertise. And it's problem solving. It's coming up with you know because you don't want to be a static film festival. You want to evolve and get better and learn, and that 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 helps you do that. And I always say um, when you're looking for advisory board members, be w- anybody who says I'm going to do this and this and all these things for you, mm-hmm. run away from that person. <laughs> because they're, they're like promising you, they're promising you everything. And they're going to like a, someone who says, you know, who's, you, you know, their background, but they say, look, I can do this for you you know, this one or two, these one or two things, and I will get them done and do them right. And you're like, boom, they're, they're gold. Cause you can like set them on a course and not have to worry about it. Cause the, mm-hmm. the first person will tell you, you know, every time you check in, Oh, don't worry, don't worry. Then at the 11th hour, yeah, I never got around to doing any of that. Is that a, is that a problem? <laughs> yeah. The festival's next week. It's kind of a problem. Uh, so yeah, just, just beware of people that promise you the world and, and, uh, and we we've we've come up with some great things. So we had uh, for the festival, uh, one we've sort of have an additional sub festival called the Children's Hospitals International Film Festival that I right. came up with it with a, right. a friend of mine. And we because we were getting because we're Academy Award qualifying festival in short subjects. Mm-hmm. So we we have uh, we send three films to the nominating committee for the Academy: one short documentary, one short animation, and one short um, narrative. We were getting. Um, we're getting films from all around the world. I mean, more films than we can possibly program. And the, the, the sad thing is we're getting more great films than we can possibly program. In the old days, it's like, how do we have enough good films to make a festival? And now it's mm-hmm. like we have too many great films and we can't get them all in. Well, we were getting a lot of ones that would be appropriate for kids. And children who are in hospitals, talk about social distancing, they've been doing this 
kids in children's hospitals social distance for years. They, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're, they're cut up because half the kids have compromised immune systems or um, uh, so they can't leave their room or they're hooked up to uh, devices that don't allow them to uh, interact with the other kids that are at the hospital. So they're kind of cut off and we were getting all these great kids from. So we started this thing where we provide children's hospitals um, with a program of short films, about two hours divided into half hour blocks because a lot of kids can't concentrate that for, for, for two hours straight, or they have to go off sure. and do a uh, testing or something. And the kids and the hospital has their own little film festival and the, uh, the kids vote on who wins, which films win the award. Oh, so at a time when they have very little control in their lives, they get to decide who wins the awards at their, at their festivals. And the filmmakers love it. I mean, they're, they made films to affect people. You know what I mean? To bring happiness and joy or, you know, whatever. To, oh, I know. To, and this really does that. So they're the, the, I can't thank the, the filmmakers enough for letting us do this. Oh, and the neat uh, part is that people don't realize how they can touch, you know, children can be so affected by such a small gesture like this. I tried to do that with the elderly too, current time, but I think it's so vital and important. What you're doing it seems like such a small thing, but I think people take for granted how very ginormic that is, for yeah. lack of a better term. That's, that's, a, that's a huge gift that you're providing other people. And that was just taking an asset that we already had at the film festival. The films were coming in. It was just a matter of curating a program that would be appropriate for kids in hospitals. Nothing could be, you know, no downers. You know, no, you can't have old yeller. can't shoot the dog in the end or the yearling or whatever, you know. Right. Um, and um, also because of the cultures of the we have kids coming in from families from different countries, so culturally mm-hmm. they have to be appropriate. So we we curate a slate, uh, and then we give it to the children's uh, child the child life services people up at Boston Children's Hospital, which was the first hospital we got on board, and they vet everything. Um, and sometimes they'll say, no, this was a little dark or whatever, and they, you know, they won't, they'll say not this one, but they usually, you know, go for the whole thing. And then um, Mm -hmm. once they've approved it, all the other hospitals like Savannah and Chicago um, and other places will, and uh, will say, sure, okay, we're on board with it. You know, they'll just accept it. Otherwise they'll want to look at, you know, judge, they'll want to curate their own slate of films, but they just, once Boston says it's okay then they accept it. And we were very lucky we got in with the uh, Boston had a um, Ryan Seacrest Foundation uh, oh. radio station. Uh, and what he mm-hmm. did, because I guess his, his kids were sick some years ago and they're in the hospital and bored and whatever for a while. Right. And so he raised money and he built these sort of radio stations, if you want to call them that, uh, for the hospital mm-hmm. uh, in the, in the hospital. So there's a really nice studio and there's also some video, so they can, while they're talking at the oh. mic and everything else and doing stuff, they can they can uh, sense and they can send things to every room. They can send this content to every room. So we knew the wiring was there, the plumbing mm-hmm. was there to deliver everything to the kids that couldn't leave their rooms because that's the important part. The last thing we want, we we say that's the one hot thing to the hospitals. You have to be able to deliver it, the content to every kid because the last thing we wanted right. to announce, oh, there's going to be this great thing and all your kids stuck in your rooms. Not again you can't be part of it. That's the last thing we want. Right. We want those are the kids we especially want to reach. So whether it's, you know, um, through closed circuit television or um, 
they bring a computer into the room, a tablet or something, and the kids watch them. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to be able to to, to uh, deliver it. And we've been doing this um, for several years, myself and Andre Stark. Uh, and uh, we've yet to get a corporate sponsor on board, but uh, uh, so mm-hmm. we can. We're at the point now where we're we're growing. We've, we're starting to add on hospitals, and so that's that's going to be next. We've got to have some uh, some corporate sponsorship on board to help just cover the costs of delivering content. Sure. Things there, and, and we'd also love to get this. I don't know if you the thing called a multicaster. Mm-hmm. And uh, if a lot of hospitals have the wiring, but if they had a multicaster, it's like a, a, a high-tech VCR or TiVo kind of thing. But you can you can load all the films in and program it like a TV station. So you could say and put out a schedule, so you could have the films playing at two in the morning or wow. whatever. So, because, you know, some kids in the middle of the night, they can't sleep. Oh, so know. they could, they could watch it. Or if they miss their, you know, if, if they're going through treatment or uh, tests or whatever it is, or physical therapy, you know, they don't miss the, they don't miss the film mm-hmm. or anything. They can, and some of these kids, if they, they, they latch onto a film they like and they watch it a bunch of times just because they really love it's just one film speaks to them and that that's All right. that's really great but okay. um, um but I, I guess something about about uh, i gotta commend you you folks for the you and michael for the on the bedford falls i mean a lot of festivals are pivoting to online uh mm-hmm. and you know they have months to figure it out All and right. you guys pivoted and you had weeks <laughs> or two weeks to figure that, yes, to figure yes. that out we and have, make it happen. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a uh, it's a source of contention. Let me tell you. Um, myself and some of the other founders have been going back and forth about this. I get very frustrated, you know, because I've done this, you know, and and uh, there seems to be this natural gravitation right now to go to the virtual thing. And in the beginning, I could understand that. You know, we had no choice. There was too few. You know, there was no place to literally have it. No one was going to leave their homes. I'm like, we were trapped as far as that goes. Now, I know that Rhode Island International Film Festival goes on in August. Mine goes on, you know, at the end of August. So I guess I should ask you, have you guys had these conversations? And, and you know, where where do you all kind of stand on this now? What are you going to do with your festival since it's coming in 70-plus days? Uh, well, the, the the governor's canceled on, like, Newport Jazz Festival and all the big events. I saw um, Yep. And... We have um, we're standing by to pivot. We don't have to pull the pull the trigger now, but we're getting all of our ducks okay. in the row. Uh, now, sure. opening night we have at the Veterans Memorial Auditorium. It's a big old depression, like just pre uh, depression era theater, and mm-hmm. it was um, it's gorgeous. It holds like I don't only say I'm guessing. I say you know almost two thousand people. 2,000 people say nice. uh, the orchestra may be, you know, some left. So the, on the, on the main, on the main floor now pack that place for opening night. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we do social distancing, that's like one person or one couple every, you know, six feet, apart, six seats apart. And then right. four rows you know, all of a sudden, that's not a whole lot of, and the, it, you have to rent the place. 
you know? Right. So it's like, does it worth your while? So, you know, we're looking into other things. And then some of our other venues are small venues uh, right. throughout the week that we, that we're, that we're screening in. So it's, it's already a small venue, but then if you space people apart, you know, it's, it's tough. You're going to be turning people away. You know, you're going to have mm-hmm. something but hold, you know, 30 people now holds eight. Uh, so it's it's uh, we'll we'll see how this goes. I think we'll have to pull. You know, by the end of June, you know that decision will have to be made. But uh, we're we're mm-hmm. getting ready to uh, uh, to go either way on this. Um, and we really, you know, I mean, I think I think the group experience of a, of a film festival is not only you know seeing the films uh, and you know and and, he, and hearing the other reactions of the people around you, but also it's the the coffee talks that we have and the workshops and the panel discussions and all those things, which are, I think a really big part of any, any festival. And for the filmmakers, it's networking as well. I know. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, you saw, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I said, yeah. And and when yours were all on the, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the Brady bunch, uh, Layout on our computers <laughs> that are watching the zooming. Yes, yes, you betcha. And and as much as you try to recreate, you know, red carpet interviews, you try to recreate Q and A's. And I'm not saying that the Q's and A Q, you know, you, I still tried to bring, and we still tried to bring, you know, great questions and everything else. But you you cannot replace a virtual experience with a live experience. Not that I think people are necessarily trying to do that, but I am fearful that it's becoming the new norm. That oh, we'll just go virtual and nobody has to be, you know, live. There's something to be said about seeing people in person and watching their reactions. People forget that. It's like, you know, I want to see their reactions. I want to sit down and have a panel discussion. You want to see it on a bigger screen with nice audio, et cetera. You know, there's a lot to talk about, and, I, and I'm and i not opposed to this. One of the things I'm looking at is a drive-in theater for the festival because there's no greater experience than that sort of thing. I've always loved it. Before there was a virus, I'm like, there's another option. But I would hate to see people just go to the virtual without saying, okay, yeah, we need to preserve the lives. I'm one of those people that's let's preserve the lives. Well, there's a, there's, there's, there's a reason that there's still a Broadway theater right. um, after talkie started in 1927. You know, there's a reason mm-hmm. it still exists. It's a different experience. You know, you, you, yeah. it's, it, it, the movies didn't replace it. Uh, and I don't think TV – you know, or a computer screen can replace going to the movies totally. Amen. Um, unless Absolutely. you're one of the lucky few that has a uh, a giant screen TV set at home that's you know 32 feet across or whatever, <laughs> you know, 16 by <laughs> you know, whatever, you know, uh, and you can have your friends over and eat popcorn. But especially for cinematography, like you know, if you want to see my dinner with Andre, okay, that I can see that on a smaller screen. You want to see Out of mm-hmm. Africa? That's you know. It's, I know that's a big screen event or, or Amen. Lawrence of Arabia or, you know, all those mm-hmm. films. Thank you. That's what I'm saying. So, you know, it's, it'll be interesting to watch it, you know, but we'll see how it goes. And clearly, of course, um, you know, the other thing that we worry about is, well, like now the Oscars are talking about postponing this and that. Plus, you know, how do you figure out what's the new criteria? I had filmmakers ask me this, so I'll ask you this because I know you work with these festivals yourself. Um, one filmmaker came to me in particular and said, hey, you know, I, I'm thinking that maybe I should withdraw because the rules are changing. Um, 
So for Rhode Island Film Festival, let's say, for instance, you know, when, when we talk about, like, have they premiered at certain places before, are you shifting the criteria so as to accommodate more of these filmmakers so that they don't have to worry about losing out, per se, because they're already losing a live experience in a lot of places? Um, it's, it's, we're, we're still, as far as I'm aware of, we're still the same as far as premiere status goes. Okay. Um, okay. And it's, and it's, and it's, can, can I say it's, it's a, for some festivals, that's the factor. Uh, for Rhode Island, it's about the quality of the film. Um, right. Uh, you know, but if it just premiered at a festival, let's, you know, um, five miles down the road the mm-hmm. week before. Right. You know, it, it, the, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, because we, we get more, like we said, we're getting more great films than we can possibly schedule. So it, it does have an impact, but, you know, first of all, first sure. of all, it's like, is this, a, is this a great film to show at our festival? That's, that's, that's what they should be talking about. Now I know some festivals um, who are going virtual. I think it's kind of funny. They're, the festivals are going virtual, but if last year, if you had looked at the requirements for the, to, to, to get to be considered for their festival, you can't have been in a virtual festival. Right. And I'm like, well, that's funny. You're now you're going virtual and you want me to be in your festival. But by, if I, but if I'd been in another virtual festival, I would be, I wouldn't have qualified for your festival. So I think, I think that's a lot of it's, a lot of it's changing. And I'm waiting for Vimeo or somebody basically write, you know, have like program packages for virtual film. Oh, sure. You know, it'd be like a one-stop shop. The festival just signs up and then it's the ticket sales, the, the, you know, arrange them, you know, you, you give them the blocks you want the films to appear in, whether, you know, a collection Mm -hmm. of shorts or how you want to do it. Sure. Uh, So that it's all, it's all, it's, it's all done. And then you also would, you wouldn't violate any uh, Academy qualifications. Well, you know, it, it's getting to that point. Like I said, you know, I, there there comes a certain point that even with a virtual film festival and even with all of us banding together, whatever network it is, whether it's your Vimeos of the world or YouTube's or you name it or, or the Zoom thing, at some given point in time, people are going to be like, no, damn it. I just want to watch a movie the old way, the old-fashioned way. Get my popcorn, sit down next to somebody, sit in a theater and do that. You know, so it's... Very sad, sad time for those of us who love the theater, those of us who love film. Broadway just closed down. Broke my heart. I mean, just broke my heart to see something like that. And the Schubert, uh, call closing, I, I just, it's a lot. It's an awful lot. So I commend you guys for not just pulling the plug. It's so impressive to me when people aren't just willing to say, oh, we'll just do the status quo. It's important. It's important to preserve some of this. So congratulations to you on that as far as that goes. And please don't cancel because by then, Michael will have a motorcycle and give us a reading to ride out. We'll literally get on the motorcycle and we can come out there for the festival. I'm all excited. I'm well, like, get on the bike and go and do something. If we, I mean, if if, the, if 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 Riff can do it, they'll do. You know, we'll we'll do it. But it's all it's all going to depend on. Our governor was pretty early on the on the restrictions. You know, and oh, they're, right. they're and you know, so they're because we're between Mass and New York and it in Connecticut, so uh, oh, we're like sure. the highway of COVID highway. You know, travel. Oh no, I get it. So they they, they really crack down, and it's it's going to be you know it may be a hybrid. You know what I'm saying? Where right. we have you know something in a larger venue, and then uh, what would have been the smaller venue things are now online. 
we'll see we'll see how it goes. Uh, we're, we're it's still still in development. But like I said we're we're ready to pivot if it turns out that you know that we have enough herd immunity, whatever you want to call it, and things open up again, and we can uh, we can do it. Gotcha. Understood. Definitely. Well, I'll be crossing my fingers for you, obviously. Hopefully, all will go well for that guy. I hope so. I, I just, my, my heart goes out to all of the different founders, that's for sure, and film festivals. Uh, speaking of film festivals, listen to you, Mr. Man. Most recently, you literally just won for Best Art Comedy Screenplay at the Die Laughing Film Festival for a project called The Resurrectionist. So, for one, congratulations. For another, Okay, tell me more, because one of the things I've never done is write horror. I have a dear friend that writes horror, no idea how to do it. Absolutely none. Great writer here, but can't do well, it. So tell us a bit horror. about the project. It's not only horror. It's a, um, uh, it takes place in Boston, period piece, uh, 1835. Oh, that's right, My apologies. Uh, it's, uh, yeah. And it is about two guys that, uh, it's a buddy picture, who fall into, to make ends meet and help support their families, they fall into digging up dead bodies to sell to the Harvard Medical School, which because at the time they couldn't get, they couldn't get bodies, but they're justifying that they're not taking anything of value. So they leave the, the dead person's value. I mean, that like, you know, coins on the eyelid rings, watch whatever in the box. Sure. Well, these things get discovered. Uh, and, but the body's gone, but no, but normally like either someone would take the jewels or they take the body and the jewels, but not, Right. the body and it's the year of Haley's Comet and people are starting thinking about the end of the world so they're thinking about you know their God took them up to heaven where uh, you know they don't need their valuables but being good Massachusetts Christians they didn't go naked other people think it's they're <laughs> vampires or zombies and the whole town's going nuts and the politicians are trying to cover their cover their butts and and call up the militia and everything else so it's kind of a dark comedy uh, about ah. digging up dead bodies that sounds intriguing, fascinating. Actually, you know what? It sounds like an excellent film in the making. Seriously. I think, I think well, I wrote it. I think it would be a great film. But, um, uh, yeah, and it's a little bit more on the sort of like the British dark comedy when I wrote it. Actually, it's 15 oh. years old. But, uh, yeah, I took it out and kind of dusted it off. Uh, and it's amazing when you go back and look at something. You're like, oh, it's, you know, you've, you're, you're a different person. You learn more. So I was like uh, – did a little bit of work on it and then send it out again. Um, That's really what, neat. What Resurrecting. Very, very cool to resurrect stuff. I do it all the time. In fact, uh, I think it's so awesome when anybody brings something, you know, back from the archives and says, you know what, maybe somebody will have a new appreciation for it. Not only do you appreciate it, you won. In fact, you've made it your business to win a number of screenplay competitions, of course. I know that you have done public service campaigns where you've won awards for, novellas that you've won awards for. Um, what this says to me personally, author to author, is is obviously uh, not only are you gifted, but you have the ability to be able to move the person who is reading it. I think that's very important. Anytime you're able to touch someone to the point where you're actually considered award-winning, that's a big deal to me. So tell me personally what you think within your writing, whether whatever format it is, doesn't matter. What do you think stands out about your writing that makes it exceptional? Um, well, I hate to say I'm exceptional, but um, I like to treat the, I like smarter writing. I like to treat um, Mm -hmm. the reader uh, as having observation skills, everything else. So you don't have to tell them a joke, tell it again, draw a diagram, point at the diagram, explain the diagram. 
mm-hmm. which some which some producers now will say, you know, you have to you have to explain it. People are dumb, and I'm like, no, people are not dumb. Uh, if you have good production design, you know, so just like there's there's a visual will uh, visual clues add so much to the storytelling when it comes to sure. when, when it comes to film. You don't need someone to point it out. And I, I said, I've even done it where I, it's an example. I was doing an indie film. I'm drinking a cup of coffee, the character's a cup of coffee, and it's hot. And so he, and he says, you know, he burns, his, he burns his lip or burns his tongue. And the line after that was like, wow, this coffee's hot. And I'm like, I don't need to say that. <laughs> If as an actor, I think when I, you know, burn my tongue and pull the mm-hmm. coffee cup away from my, the audience will get that it's hot. I don't have to then say, this cup of coffee's hot. Right. But I, I, I've noticed that, especially um, in television, especially now in sitcoms, in sitcoms there's, some, this, the, there's some great writing and then there's some laser. I like to go back to, I think about the, uh, the ensemble comedies from the 70s, 60s, and 70s, you know, Barney Miller or, um, uh, you know, Mary Tyler Moore Show or any of the, you know, any of those classic ensemble comedies that just the, the, the actors, which can take a, you know, they can take a well-written script and make it even better mm-hmm. with their choices because it's, you know, the, it's what they can do with a look or a pause. So it's not, they're not explaining anything. They're taking they're waiting just the right, right amount of time and in, in that pause. And it makes all that, that timing makes all the difference in the world on how the, and on, on how the audience perceives that line. Sure. So it's, uh, uh, it's just, it's, it's amazing. And the, or you go back to the, uh, the, you know, let's go back to the, the Bedford Falls Film Festival. Um, the old character actors from uh, the thirties, uh, where you had, you know, Reginald Alwan or whoever, you know, whoever. Uh, but yeah, they were they were just the stable of character actors who just took great scripts and made mm-hmm. them even better. Because I and that's why right. I, I look at filmmaking. I want to give I want to give the 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 actor the best ammunition I you know I can give them, and then mm-hmm. they take it from there. Let's switch over a minute because, of course, I mentioned you did public service campaigns in the past. And not everybody can do that. I have a dear friend who does, you know, ad, ad, you know, he works at an ad agency and puts ads together. You know, I don't think people realize that, you know, just because you see this beautifully put together thing, whether it's online or whether it's on the television, it does really take what I call obvious uh, creative, I always say, always think out of the box, 24-7, constantly, no matter what medium. But for you personally, um, What's that, what we call that sugar and spice ingredient within a campaign that makes it sparkle, makes it shine? And in this case, what made yours sparkle and shine? Well, I've been, I've been, I've been lucky because the, the, the film festival would ask me to write their, their public service campaigns. And then we also started this gotcha. thing, a competition we would do with filmmakers called the seven-day PSA, <laughs> where uh, oh. filmmaker teams enter and we give them a nonprofit, local nonprofit, and they have seven days to write, shoot, and edit a 30-second PSA. But I would say don't go, don't do the obvious. Uh, if you're too obvious, uh, you know, if you're talking about a, a PSA for a soup kitchen and your your visual is people getting soup, you know, they're gonna they're they're gonna tune out. Uh, you know, so think about you know what's gonna draw the audience in, 
So right. if if you're or you're doing homelessness, don't show you know uh, someone sleeping on a park bench, you know, or so you know that's because that's what someone's obvious idea of what a homeless person is. You show a picture of a parent picking up their kids at school and they come running out to the car and they and they and they and they and they hop in the car and they're all happy and then next thing you know you see the car parked in a residential street in front of a house and you start to push in on the house what you're really pushing in on is, is the car and they're sleeping in the car mm-hmm. that's something that people do oh i didn't you know and you talk about you know you'd be surprised who's who's homeless so i think if you um yeah just don't don't be obvious because you, you, it's not a documentary. You're not trying to show people what the nonprofit does. You're trying to show them what um, what they uh, what you want to grab the audience. You know, just if you can grab that one emotion and make them feel it, and then um, hopefully at the end, you know, because only, only you only have thirty seconds, so it's really micro filmmaking, micro right. micro short filmmaking, and then you're and then you want them. You want to you want to catch their emotions enough so that at the end, at the end of thirty seconds, when they see that that you know, go to this website or call this number, whether it's you know they need help and they need the services, or you know, hey, I'd like to help you know volunteer or or give to this organization. So it's you know it's I, I mean go back to the crying Indian, you know what I'm saying? It's not so much the litter on the ground. As the tear in the Indian's eye, if you remember that one. Yep. That yeah, old, I do. Uh, I, I do. PSA. I love it when but, they make uh, yeah, so, I mean, you know, you want to feel and think. And it's a skill a lot of filmmakers have, uh, you know. And uh, so, I, you know, if you're talking about you want to build a resume, go volunteer to do a PSA. In the old days, TV stations used to make public service announcements for. Um, for nonprofits, because they're required to air PSAs um, as ah. part of their license agreement. Uh, gotcha. But now, I mean, TV stations are you know they're really on a budget, and they don't have the extra staff or anybody. I've been I've been to mm-hmm. TV stations where you go into, into the lobby and there's no reception; it's just a phone with a list of extensions you can dial uh, to, to to get someone inside. So they yeah they really don't have it, and it's you know and uh, but if you can deliver them a really well-made from a nonprofit, if you can really deliver them a broadcast quality PSA, your chances of getting on the air uh, is great. And then with the with our seven-day PSA competition, uh, mm-hmm. we have a in Boston we have WCVB TV five. It's an ABC affiliate. We give um, we. Uh, take the ones that have aired and if we think they're really good we put them in we pay the hundred dollar or whatever it is entry fee hundred something dollars uh for the for the emmy awards and on their seven day psa competitions one of the teams got an emmy and three of them have gotten emmy nominations so they have that on you know they were they wow. say do something good for your career and your karma so you know they they were doing something good but now they have an actual broadcast credit on their resume and, you know, a couple of them can put down Emmy nominee um, on that. 
Welcome. And, and thank again, you that for was another thing where, where, where we had a board. You know, we're just brainstorming. You know, what can we do with our with that mm-hmm. advisory board? Because it's 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 it's, it's a, it comes out of the Rhode Island Film Festival. So it's just yeah, that's what advisory boards do. They brainstorm. <laughs> Don't you have to reinvent awesome. the wheel? But you know, you know, what's a, another way to use the wheel that you already got? Absolutely. You bet. I think I need an advisory board. Good Lord, you're convincing me just listening to all this. That's awesome. And that's great. And that's wonderful advice, as a matter of fact. Um, I want to ask you, of course, about the obvious, which is, as I mentioned, he has won the George Bailey Award at our film festival. Michael and myself, you all know, run Bedford Falls Film Festival now in its second year. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of the work. Um, I have to tell you that he and I elongated the founders, um, and I'm sure you know this, oftentimes founders will get together, put their heads together, and we don't always agree on everything. Believe it or not, I know it's a shock, but, yeah, sometimes you kind of go back and forth. And um, I can tell you with all confidence, even though Michael's not here, but I'm sure he's listening in, one of the things that we like so very most, and, and there's so much to like about this, uh, folks, you know, the project's called Macy's Goes to War, which was done in 2017. Um, it combines a 1940-style newsreel-type format Number one, that caught my eye. Number two, I love the fact that you use the Adobe 2D animation. Uh, animation usage by anyone these days is not only complicated but costly, and if not done effectively, it might impact the project. So that was number two. Number three, it's based on a true story. Most people uh, obviously, of course, know about the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade, but, of course, the donation that was done, the entire donation that was done um, during that time is also a true story. So there's a lot to love within the course of this movie, but most importantly, it's done uh, in a timely manner. It's done, uh, cinematography is absolutely excellent, audio matched very well. Um, You know, George Bailey himself would look at this and say, gosh darn it, I'm sure proud of this project and I love being a part of this sort of thing. Um, It's like magic on screen. That's just my Well, thank you very much. It was very much a team effort. So I'm not one of those people that... uh, stands up and say, you know, I'm glad you like my film because it's, it was our, it was our film. It was a real, it was a real team effort to make all the parts work. Um, oh, and, absolutely. uh, the animation we, oh, well, we, um, my editor is, a uh, teaches at, uh, Rhode Island School of Design and we thought we'd get, mm-hmm. you know, an animation student to do like this real cool and couldn't get, none of the students were, were interested so that became um, a uh, uh, an opportunity. Uh, so we had Stephanie mm-hmm. Esser, who's a great artist, and she did all the all the artwork. She drew it, and then uh, my editor integrated it into it into the film. But of course, it looked like it was stuck on the screen. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we handed it off to Juliet Snyder, who was our Adobe 2D animator, and she made it blend and look like it was part of the black and white newsreel footage. Of uh, with the of of the balloons uh, in the uh, in the original footage, and then of course my mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, DP Sam Sam Cole, who was uh, making sure that when we shot the original black and white footage, that we had a scene inserted in that we couldn't find uh, certain certain s- scripted scenes because we just couldn't find the vintage archival footage so we went and shot that mm-hmm. and sam shot it in such a way that it uh it really matched that the grain the feel the lighting of a uh, black and white 
footage from 1942. So it was, it was, it was, it was really, really, really lucky to have gotten a hold of those people to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I have three questions relative to that film. For one, um, I guess I should ask the obvious, which is we always like to talk about not everybody has such an adoration for black and white films, but one of the reasons we started our festival was to try to build a real resurgence um, for the genre and for the love and appreciation of it. So if a filmmaker is listening today, why would you recommend, per se, that somebody does a project in black and white versus the traditional nowadays? You know, you've got CGI and a million other things. But why choose black and white if given the choice? I think it really, black and white um, really lends itself, especially if you're doing something periods. Um, and I don't mean you, you, there was, uh, in Bedford Falls, there were, um, you know, you, uh, film festival, and I'm blanking on the the film, but there was the, one that was that really sort of 1960s or early 70s indie film, black and white feel. Uh, uh-huh. Uh, hmm. Yeah, and then it's just like it really brings you to that period. I mean, it really takes you there. If that had been right. in color, it wouldn't it wouldn't have felt the same. Um, sure. Uh, it would have looked like oh, someone you know you know it's I'm just accepting the fact because you know the they told me it was this year, you know, and some old cars on the street or whatever. But I think um, if you go back and look at what, what the filmmaking was like back then, um, it, it really helps you capture the, the feel. As in, and the same thing with um, the uh, – boy, I'm having the worst time remembering titles again. Uh, the, uh, the, 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 the film that was scored – uh, from uh, 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 the Pacific Northwest, the uh, the he took the, the the gentleman took the original uh, film and scored it. Uh, old film. Oh, from um, uh, uh, oh, oh, yeah. It's uh, oh gosh, no, I should know this. Shouldn't I? Ed Hartman's production, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, um, I was, it was, it was, it was. I mean, the scoring was wonderful, but I, um, and that had some old special effects too. You know, saying right. it wouldn't. It's not. Yeah. It's not Star Wars. It's not CGI. But they were original special effects. So the you know with, with models done in the 30s, uh, and you know, no, it's not modern age. But I totally bought it because I accepted the fact it's 1930s. So it didn't take right. away from the film experience. It adds to the film experience. Gotcha. I agree with you 150%. And not only that, I think that a lot of us are still back in that era. There's such a, a romantic, vintage feel, clearly. I mean, it, you know, it sets the stage for such a beautiful experience. And back in the day, you know, you had husbands and wives in separate beds. It was, you know, there wasn't all this vulgarity. I mean, I get it. I mean, have teenagers, et cetera, so a neutral part. But, you know, things were more simplistic. And, and, and the black and white, just the black and white usage of, of film itself I think just changes the look and the feel of a movie. And, and who doesn't love that? Again, maybe I'm just nostalgic and very romantic, but, you know, I appreciate the, those sorts of things. Um, I should ask, because, As long again, as everything's done with intention. Yeah. yeah. As, as long as everything's done, done with intention, you know, it's really well-considered and thought out, and, you know, your your settings and your you know, your lighting is all done for a reason. It's not just, well, that's the way it happened. You know, Absolutely. I think... Uh, you, uh, 
do you remember was it Dead Man Don't Wear Plaid? Was it Steve oh, Martin yeah. Black and White? <laughs> I remember uh, that one, I yeah. do. Um or Woody oh, Allen or uh, whatever, or or just go back to raging like a, a you know uh Raging Bull mm-hmm. had, you know, had some black and white hair. Well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's all good stuff. Oh, you bet. So I, I mean, I hope I hope this I hope Bedford Falls just continues and grows and gets bigger and better every year. Well, yes. I mean, this is you know the first year it took me I think a whole lot of pushing. I mean, not too much, but you know we both loved black and white movies so much, and then I was like, oh, and he's like. He was kind of doubtful in the beginning, like, you know, is anybody going to really appreciate this? Are they going to show up? Are they going to want to do it? And we did have our challenges the first year. You know, I I was established already for years in my own festival, and then, you know, we had our tough challenges. You know, believe it or not, folks, finding original black and white movies uh, nowadays is tough. It's not like the 40s and 30s and, you know, beyond. We had to struggle and look all over the place to find films the first year. You know, we didn't have the best facility. We didn't have the greatest turnout. And this year, you know, we aligned ourselves with great filmmakers, even though we couldn't do it in person. We we considered it a success on a lot of levels. We've made some great connections. We've shown beautiful films. We um, I think we provided, you know, and what we're told is a good festival. So, yeah, I mean, I, I have every intention of growing it. I know I have to tug at him a little bit because, you know, sometimes it's, it's it's a lot of work, you know, so I think I could tweet in the pot to have them last five more years. But we'll see, you know. Uh, it's always, you know, the, the push and the pull, are we doing too much, all that jazz and stuff. But I appreciate that, just hearing that, you know, just all the good feedback we got. I can't tell you how much it means to the both of us, and especially to him and, and to his credit. So let me publicly say this, and I have said this before, folks. So if you're listening in and you're considering to yourself, should I, you know, become a filmmaker, should I run a festival, one of the coolest things that I find about doing black and white film festivals is that we get to bring back jewels. You know, every year, not only do we do indie, but this year we didn't get a chance to do it, but we do show Hollywood films, like from the 30s, 40s. Chaplin's one of my favorites. Um, but those of you who are doing virtual events, and I'm sure you know this too as well, Duncan, um, technology, learn your technology. Let me tell you right now, Bedford Falls would have never happened without that man. Because let me tell you, I'm tech stupid like you. You know what I'm saying? I don't know a damn thing mm-hmm. about any of this stuff. And he's just like, but we got to do this and this. I'm like, what? Every time he'd say something, I'd be like, huh? You know, I just, I don't get it, you know. So so to his credit, let me just say, he is literally the backbone of, of Bedford Falls in so many ways because he, he put it all together. He organized films, and you saw them. They ran well. The sound was great. Everything was, I, I can't thank him enough for making me look so good, making all of us look so good. So to my co-founder, thank you so much. Um, speaking of festivals, so now what is your intention with Macy's Goes to War, meaning um, we all know it's going to be at the Artist Live Film Festival because you won, so that means you automatically mm-hmm. get to screen at my festival again. But outside of that, um, how many more festivals can you even do this year? Because I know you're saying lots of cancellations, et cetera. There have been some cancellations. We were in the bot. We were accepted to the Boston International Film Festival. They canceled, and then they uncanceled, and they they're trying to reschedule for September. Oh, uh, Maryland International Film Festival is similar story. They're trying to do the same thing. Um, uh, the uh, there is in Montreal. We were accepted to um, the. Uh, I'm always get this backwards. Montreal International History Film Festival. And mm-hmm. that one is going virtual in um, uh, in June now. 
have gone virtual ah. in June. I was looking forward to for a road trip to Montreal, but it's oh. not to be. <laughs> Get I some good beer and poutine and whatever, you know. Uh, whatever, but yeah, so, so uh, we're, I mean, yeah, and some other ones have canceled, so um, I'm not really sure what what's uh, what's going to happen with the with it. We've, I mean, we've 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 had a nice little run with it. I mean, we got we're at one real or short film festival, uh, right. uh, Gold Movie Awards, and of course Bedford Falls Film Festival, and then at the Eurovision yeah. Palermo Film Festival. So it was, uh, oh. you know, it's 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 nice encouragement. I mean, because there's there's no there's no money in shorts. It was just an idea I wanted, I had, and I wanted right. to make happen. Um, and it, I mean, I guess you could say there's there it, it is a bit of a calling card if you do if you execute something well. But uh, sure. And I also, well, I I can tell you, I mean, I after I wrote this and we started make, I had the idea. My brother suggested something to me, and I he said it would make a. a, a take the concept and elongate it into a feature. So I did write a feature treatment uh, that actually would have the newsreel in it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Goodness gracious. Like, of course, like I said, you folks know that Art of the Live is going on in New York City. We don't know where yet, but I will keep posted. Everyone posted on that as far as that goes. So this way they do get a chance to actually be able to view it live because it's going to take a lot of work for me to, to literally not do it live. But we'll just, again, I'm I'm trying to make precautions and, and put things together. Um, the last item I wanted to ask you about relative to the film, I found it interesting. Most people probably don't know this, but it was dedicated to Claudia. Um, so... Tell us a bit about Claudia. Claudia was my older sister. She's about a year and, a year and three months older than I uh, than I am. And um, she uh, passed away in 2015 in her sleep. Uh, she was uh, uh, a teacher, and she also, um, by history, she actually was working with a, with a, a, uh, a, a well, say it's an aviation museum uh, in Houston. Uh, down in New Smyrna, Florida, New Smyrna Beach, Florida area, and uh, so we, I, I dedicated it to her. She also was. Uh, I worked. We did a uh, TV pilot um, uh, in twenty, well, twenty twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Took almost two and a half years, but she, mm-hmm. when she could, she worked as, a, as my one of my script supervisors when we on set. We were on on location, so uh, it was a project called Half Pint. Um, and uh, she was always really very supportive, and you know of what I wanted to do. Where a lot of uh, a lot of people are like, "When are you going to get a real job?" You know. <laughs> oh, sure. She was she was always very supportive, and she you know she, she, you know as older sisters are when you're when you're young, you don't really appreciate them when you 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 know when you get a little bit older. Because she used to she was just old enough to know what would get you in trouble. And we were just young enough to not know that. Sure. So she would tell us to go do stuff and then we'd get in trouble. Oh. My brother and I were twins. So it's like, we'd be like, for instance, I guess like my brother and I were wrestling on the living room floor, but we're not supposed to be, you know, that's not supposed to happen in there. My sister comes in, takes one of the cushions, the pillows off the, one of the chairs and throws it at us saying, you're not supposed to be wrestling in here. And she misses and she takes out a lamp runs in to where my mom is and says, the boys were wrestling in the in the living room and the lamp got broken. Leads my mom to believe 
it was a true statement she made. But however, it left my mom my mom to believe that we broke the lamp. Oh my god! So we god. were punished. Okay. And it came out of our allowance and all that stuff. Sure. So. Okay. Aw, sweet little thing there. How sweet! I I just thought that was so neat. I'm like, how lovely is that? The dedications and, and and things like that. And I'm sure that she made quite the impact on you. So, I'm sure Claudia is quite thrilled for uh, all the work you've done and all the things you've accomplished. Um, so the last question before we get to wrapping things up here is, is what's next for Duncan? What's going on now? What are you going to be doing in the next couple of weeks, next month, rest of the year? I'm, as I say, I'm unemployed in many fields at the moment. Uh, so I, um, uh, I said, I, I, um, I'm hoping, uh, film production starts back up, uh, where, uh, as far as me as an actor goes, um, writing, uh, writing away and then, uh, uh, Andre Stark, my co-producer uh, on Macy's, uh, we have our, our original concepts and development associates. So uh, mm-hmm. it's a LLC. We started to sort of do our own project, but also uh, our model is to create projects and then sell them, you know, sort of, mm-hmm. which is our, whether it's a, a screenplay or a TV pilot or whatever. So we're uh, we're working away at that. So, and actually it seems like there's a lot of people have, time on their hands to actually read scripts right now the mm. hard part is getting a hold of them because they're not in their offices you know oh sure uh, people are sure. working remotely so yeah. yeah we're just we're just trying to make opportunities happen you got to take it one yeah. one step at a time absolutely and i'm you applying for I'm well, applying for unemployment which is for the first time so amen hello welcome to all of our world sadly but true obviously um and of course don't forget the obvious which is Macy's Goes to War will be showing at Artist Live Film Festival. You'll be able to read a review of Macy's Goes to War. When is that? June? July? I think it's July. The July issue of magazine, the Artist Live magazine, there will be a review of that in there, as a matter of fact. A review and or interview. We have to work out both of those as far as that goes. Um, so, yes, that's on the horizon as well. Um, I want to remind you and everybody uh, that after this show ends, I think it's about two hours it takes. Uh, the episode will be archived, and they get to go back and listen for the rest of eternity because this is an eternal interview. Um, I also put my interviews on YouTube um, so that people can go ahead and see those and screen them as well um, or get a chance to just listen in while they're doing whatever. Um, I have about 800 different websites and other places to read to find Duncan. So what I'm going to do is I'll read off everything I found. If I've missed anything, just let me know when I'm done, if you would. Um, oh, okay. The lovely gentleman, we've been... Duncan, by the way, his name, Duncan, D-U-N-C-A-N. Last name is spelled Putney, P-U-T-N-E-Y. So you know who you've been speaking or I've been speaking to. You can see I haven't had enough sleep as usual. So here we go. His uh, base website is DuncanPutney.com. For Rhode Island International Film Festival, it's film-festival.org. And the following, IMDb, LinkedIn, YouTube, Amazon, Goodreads, Smashwords. He is on Facebook. He has both a personal profile as well as Duncan Putney screenwriter. He is on Twitter at Duncan Putney, which would be the name of his profile, of course. And, of course, www.ocda.biz. Any place else I might have forgotten? No, other than, uh, you know, the police reports or something. Um, I think that's it. 
<laughs> I think I absolutely covered everything I could possibly think of. Yeah. Okay, the last thing that we do on my show, um, because if I don't get off this phone soon, I think my son's going to scream at me. I have one teenager home and another one I have to pick up in a little while. We always finish the show with the last thing, which is this. Most people don't know this, but my entire show is always scripted. I research everybody. I put together all of the data, write together the questions. But the very last part is I get to tell you what I think of you. The reason I do this is because it's completely non-scripted, which means that everything I'm telling you right now, I haven't pre-thought of. So it's just right off the top of my head. And sometimes it helps to build our audience an impression of you that I haven't already done through my what they call lovely journalistic skills. So here goes. This is my 60-second thoughts on Duncan Putney. One of the coolest things that I learned about him from the get-go was how very gentlemanly and how very gracious he was. I deal with filmmakers all year round. And let me tell you, they can be pretentious. They can be a real downright pain in the ass, full of ego, full of eccentricity. He is none of the above. He is genuinely a very gracious, a very lovely gentleman. When he showed up on our little Zoom screen, I thought, this is a character that I could hang out with. And why? Because he is smart in every sense of the word. He knows how to put words onto a piece of paper, make you feel, and not only that, make you fawn over him in the very best way possible. Any good writer comes, in my opinion, from having two things inside of them, purpose and passion, and you clearly have both of them. Your works are endearing and enlightening and engaging. That does not happen with every single filmmaker. It doesn't happen with every single screenwriter either. So you're you're just a powerhouse of power, for lack of a better term. I know that's not quite the right author word to put it, but what's really cool is that people get lost in your words and they find themselves being a better person at the very end after having an experience, whether it's what they read, what they see on screen. You touch people. And nowadays I can't tell you what a vital component that is to have. So for me to you, one of the coolest parts about my festival is I I get to meet a really super cool person. I get to hand them an award. I get to work with them again. And most importantly, he touched my life. So thank you so very much. That's what I think. Well, thank thank you, Carsey. In the last two months since lockdown, I have not had a handshake or a hug, but that was the next best thing. Oh, gosh, thank you so thank much. You. Well, I tried really hard. I like to leave people better than I find them. But, yeah, all of those words are very genuine, very, well, very very well uh, earned, I must say. And I'm so looking forward to being able to show the project, obviously, of course. I look forward to having the review done, of course, doing an article about you. So it'll be wonderful. So certainly um, uh, I'll be in touch soon. Clearly I'll send you the interview, and like I said, we'll take the next step for the next things in terms of the festival and such. But, yeah, thanks so much again for being patient and, and waiting and allowing me the opportunity to get back to you. Uh, I hope I did you justice. Oh, I, I thank you. No, it's, it's been an, uh, an honor uh, to have this opportunity to, oh, to chat with you for an hour straight or, or more than an hour yeah. straight now. I know it's been like almost an hour and a half, right? I mean, it's like it, it goes just yeah. like that. So, I, again, I, I really appreciate it. I'll be in touch soon. And enjoy your weekend, hey? Go go write something. Wonderful. You too. All, All right. Honey, thank you. Have a good Take one. Care, bye. Bye. Bye-bye. All righty, folks. That was. Duncan, and again, the last name Putney, P-U-T-N-E-Y. Let me go ahead and read again one more time. DuncanPutney.com, Rhode Island International. can be found at film-festival.org. And again, the business website, www.ocda.biz. He is also found on IMDb, LinkedIn, 
Amazon, Goodreads, YouTube, Smashwords. On Twitter, it's at Duncan Putney. And then, of course, on Facebook, it is the personal page as well as Duncan Putney Screenwriter. Um, again, the project is called Macy's Goes to War. And again, as I mentioned, it will be at the Art is Alive Film Festival, which is in late August. Details on that, on the film, etc., will all be put up at artisalivefilmfestival.weebly.com. My big thanks once again to Duncan. My big thanks, as always, to my audience. Uh, without my audience, I would have nothing. Without my guests, I would have no show. Um, so, yeah, you guys are like the bomb. Uh, thanks to my kids, of course. Well, my one who is home and not paying attention, thank God. Uh, I want to finish off the show with uh, some incredible news that I literally just got today that I'm super excited to announce. So you guys are like the very first people to hear this. Uh, And hopefully my partner is hearing it too. Um, As we mentioned in the start of the show, uh, the project that I wrote most recently, which is The Make the Mobster and The Man Upstairs, um, means a great deal to me for a number of reasons, not just because of the people involved. And, yes, I believe in their work and their incredible, amazing actors who have touched my life. Um, but it allows me the ability to be able to do uh, free. I have creative freedom to change the characters, to make them live, to, to bring a beautiful story to a smaller stage instead of a big screen, which for me is exciting. I also wrote myself in it, um, no coincidence, right? Uh, not because I'm an actor, but just because it gives me the opportunity to work alongside my partner, my best friend. Um, so you all have followed me long enough to know that there's very few things that rate exceptionally high in my life, my children being one of them, my partner being one, uh, my art, my shows, everything that I do creatively. But for me today, uh, my dream is finally going to come true. Uh, as I said, to those that follow me, you know that one of the things I've waited my whole life for is to be able to go to Italy. So today I was given the very generous offer to not only be able to come there and stay there, but to be able to perform there with the person that I love. So before the end of 2020, the number one bucket list I have, which is to go to Italy, will happen with the person I want to go with and being able to perform one of the most beautiful things I've ever written. So stay tuned for all the details. I am ecstatic, extremely nervous, a whole slew of emotions. But uh, hey, thanks for being here and getting to to hear my great news. Uh, I'll be announcing it at some given point in time, but I just want to get that out there because I needed something to look forward to and now I have it. And uh, so, yeah, exciting, right? All right, guys, uh, enough of listening to me babble. You guys have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you guys next week, Wednesday. Take care.